the radical left has taken over the Democratic Party. Hello and welcome to Think Progressively, covering politics and all the other chaos life has to offer. This is episode 38, recorded on Friday, May 28th from Milwaukee. I'm Joe. And I'm Jason. And on today's episode, we'll be discussing what critical race theory actually is and whether or not it'll destroy the fabric of society. Ooh. Jason, work off of me here. It's coming for us. Ah. And your children. But before it does that, the headlines. The fact is that everything he's saying so far is simply a lie. I'm not here to call out his lies. Everybody knows he's a liar. First up in headlines, the commission to investigate the January 6th attacks on the Capitol have officially been voted upon. Or not actually voted upon. Or not actually voted upon. In a vote of 54-35, the ballot failed because in our system, 54 to 35 is a loss. A loss. That failed to reach the 60 vote threshold, which would make it filibuster proof. Yep. And because the filibuster is essentially meaningless at this point, that's all that has to, that nobody has to stand there and talk until they pass out or anything. It's just, well, you didn't get 60 votes, which you'll never get 60 votes for any bill that has any sort of contention because you'll never have a 60 vote majority. Well, and why would the opposition or the minority party do it? So nothing substantial will ever get passed from either party until we get rid of the filibuster. Six Republicans did vote in favor of the commission. Those were Senators Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, Susan Collins of Maine, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, Rob Portman of Ohio, Mitt Romney of Utah, and Ben Sass of Nebraska. Many of those you may have seen also vote in favor of impeachment the second time around. I don't know if you can't have enough self-respect to want to investigate your own attempted murder. (laughs) Oh, and I'm just, I'm so sad for these 11 senators who also just didn't have the time to make this vote. Who were those 11? Those 11 included Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, who also voted in favor of impeachment the second time around, but did say that he had a family commitment and he would have voted in favor of it if he was there. Sorry, I couldn't do my job, voters of Pennsylvania. Uh, I had family commitments. to. Sorry, I couldn't save democracy. I had a vacation to go to. That's unfair. I don't know if it was actually a vacation or not. Also on that list, Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, Roy Blunt, soon to be ex-senator from Missouri, Mike Braun from Indiana, Richard Dick Burr (laughs) from North Carolina, Jim Inhofe from Oklahoma, Patty Murray, one of the only two Democrats on this list from Washington, Jim Risch of Idaho, Mike Rounds of South Dakota, Richard Shelby of Alaska, and Kirsten Cinema, the other Democrat, sort of, from Arizona. So what do you think this says about this whole process? That we need to get rid of the filibuster. Yeah, That's not stupid. not surprising, right? We already talked about this last time. We knew this was going to happen. Kill Phil. <laughs> and shockingly, shockingly, now, okay, the fact that Kirsten Cinema didn't even show up for the vote makes me really angry. Like, yeah, I know the other ones are upsetting too, but like, Kirsten Cinema really ticks me off because of the fact that she's actively advocating against the filibuster or against getting rid of the filibuster and then she doesn't even show up to make these important votes come on and you know she didn't make it because she knew that her vote wouldn't have mattered because she knew the filibuster was intact so and she didn't have to make a spectacle of herself again by giving it a snarky thumbs down or anything like that so she could just safely hide away and not even participate in our democracy which she is paid to do that's her actual job Murkowski did blast Mitch McConnell on Friday for refusing to back the commission, accusing the leader of putting short-term political gain, in her own words, instead of finding out the truth of a deadly insurrection. And of course, Joe Manchin still believes they will find a way forward to get this commission going. Come on, man. And he recently said that he's not willing to get rid of the filibuster. No. So what is he going to do here? I am willing to get rid of Joe Manchin. Well, and Republican voters in West Virginia may do that for us anyway. At this point, he's no different than having a Republican there. So frustrating, man. So frustrating. So this means that likely the investigation into the Capitol riot would move to a committee, which is a much more partisan investigation because that would be picked completely by the House leader, who is Nancy Pelosi. Mm-hmm. Remember, this was supposed to be a bipartisan commission, and they turned that down. God, it's annoying. Next up, Texas gets ready to allow unlicensed carrying of handguns. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Wow. 
Not doing anything to dispel that Yosemite Sam stereotype. According to an NPR article, Texas is poised to remove one of its last major gun restrictions after lawmakers approved allowing people to carry handguns without a license and the background check and training that go with it. This will also come, as we didn't have this in the headlines, but this will come in the shadow of yet another mass shooting, uh, this time in San Jose at a train yard. Yep. What we need is more guns. Because then, guns with guns will guns, and then guns guns. I believe that is the NRA slash GOP reasoning behind their gun law legislation. You know, and their big argument for this is to say like, well, this gives people a better right to bear arms and that they're going to have a better chance to defend themselves. Yeah. Like this I said, is insane. guns, 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 therefore guns, guns. I just, I can't even imagine the idea of, hey, let's have no way of tracking who owns what. Like, Screw it. Again, these are laws written by gun manufacturers. Oh, I thought you were going to say Republicans. I mean, yes, you're well, right. Yeah, I'm, no, by gun manufacturers. Mm-hmm. That all they care about is you buying more guns. Right. That's what this is. We just want it so that literally everyone can buy as many guns as possible so that I can buy some more lakefront property. Well, and it's not even just that. It's buying more guns, which creates more violence, which then begets, hey, you should be scared, buy more guns. And that's all it is. It just keeps going around and around and around meanwhile i'm safe in my mansion surrounded by walls and gates so what do i care i i cannot believe that they think this is a good idea come on texas yippity yip yip you and i cannot imagine a state that'd be as dumb as texas to do anything so stupid and ridiculous and oh wait On Tuesday, the Wisconsin GOP-led legislature, after being called into special session by the Democratic governor, Tony Evers, on the topic of expanding Badger Care and getting $1.6 billion of our own citizens' federal tax money, uh, decided to not have any discussion or debate about that, and in less than one minute, cost the taxpayers of Wisconsin $1.6 billion. Billion dollars with a B. Pretty standard, do nothing, gavel in, gavel out. How many times have they done this? Every time they've been called in for a special session by our Democratic governor because they don't, again, this is just a continuation of the Republican strategy of doing absolutely nothing. And obstructing the process as much as possible. Unless they have a Republican majority everywhere. That's Otherwise, they're not going to do anything. This is just more of what we were talking about with the whole Philip buster issue republicans refuse to vote for democratic legislature even though again that's their job they're not supposed to decide what they're going to vote for what they're not going to even have a vote for which is what this is they didn't even have any discussion any debate nothing they just came in had enough to have a quorum so not even everybody is there because they know what's going to happen and then they leave and they do absolutely nothing and they collect a paycheck but yet they will tell you if you're on any kind of government program that you need to get off of welfare and stop sucking on the government teat and go get a job. Meanwhile, this is what they do for a living. Nothing. So what are they doing then? If they're not spending time doing this, what are they doing? Well, uh, Robin Voss, who is a huge government welfare recipient, got over $200,000 worth of PPE for his private business during the pandemic and also gets a full salary and benefits for doing absolutely nothing in the state legislature, as we mentioned, has decided to use taxpayer money to hire former police investigators to look at the November election. Well, and the big thing is he doesn't even know how much it's going to cost. That's the big thing about this, where, yes, we're spending taxpayer dollars on hiring retired police officers and an attorney to investigate several aspects of the national election that took place in Wisconsin. Even though it's already been investigated by the state election board, which is their job, and they do that every election, and they actually have experience doing that. Just like, as we were talking about last week in Arizona. It's not like, they're like, oh, there's an election, no one look into anything, any reports of any kind of malfeasance or fraud, we just ignore unless somebody 
create some kind of commission to do it. No, they always look into and follow up on every report. But here's the kicker, though, Jason, and see if you can find out what the plan is here. According to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel article, Voss said the investigators will likely provide a report for him by the fall with their findings. He said he wants to identify laws that should be changed rather than try to find people who the investigators believe have violated the law. Yeah, so we went over this last week. Again, this is the strategy to just provide cover for the Republican voter suppression laws that they've already been pushing everywhere in 47 states. They've already been proposed. All this is, is to give post facto justification to get those reports and say, well, we've got this official sanctioned by the legislature report that says we should not allow minorities and people who live in big cities to vote. And we should not make it easy for people to actually get to the polling place before it closes. If you're not somebody who can take off of work and you don't want to spend all day in a line in a crowded district to go vote, well, I'm sorry, that's too bad. That's what this official report that we have in front of us says that we need to do. That's why they're doing this. And to make matters worse, on top of that, Wisconsin lawmakers also advanced a proposal to ban transgender athletes from girls and women's sports. Now, we talked about this before, but the House Assembly just literally had a hearing on this, heard from the public. Former guest Jessica Katzenmeier actually spoke at that hearing. <sighs> Frustrating is doesn't give it justice. If you're looking for a silver lining from both of these stories, as long as we do have Tony Evers or a Democrat as our governor, any legislation coming out of you know either one racist or two transphobic will likely be vetoed. Correct. Well, I think one, one thing I want to make very clear with this is when you hear this type of rhetoric from Republicans or conservatives or your crazy aunts and uncles or re- relatives or friends or whatever, know that these types of bills are not just homophobic and transphobic and God, any other phobic or racist you can imagine. They're literally unfactual, anti-science and goes against the preponderance of research that's been done in this field so far. It's ab- And I know we, we keep saying it, Jason, <laughs> but we really need to do an episode on transgender athletes because the science overwhelmingly says that trans people, especially trans women, are perfectly fine competing in sports with other women. So let's sprinkle in some good news. I'm ready. The Manhattan DA has convened a grand jury in the Trump investigation. Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance Jr. has reportedly convened a grand jury in his wide-ranging investigation into former President Donald Trump and his foundation. The seating of a grand jury generally signals that prosecutors are ready to present evidence and potentially seek indictments against Trump, his company, or its officers. And that's the big thing I think we should probably clarify right away. This isn't necessarily just against Donald Trump. We don't know for sure who exactly these indictments could be for. That's kind of the big thing. For all we know, it could be a couple of accountants in the Trump Foundation. However, which they could then use these indictments to push for them to roll over on other people within the organization. Well, not even just that, but I also think if Cy Vance and um, Letitia James um, of New York publicly announced that this was turning public and then Cy Vance publicly reporting that jury was convinced they have something substantial like they wouldn't do all this public stuff just to have everyone be let down by this at least i would assume so so i would have to say this is pretty good news at least as far as what we can ask for i remain guardedly optimistic i'm okay with that also one thing to keep in mind with this is that this is not an overnight process the court system moves incredibly slowly especially if you have a lot of money right so the grand jury is actually selected to sit and hear proceedings for at least six months so we're not even going to hear this for at least six months to a year so be aware of that as well and in more good news is it (laughs) i just wanted to hear your reaction i I, this is neither good nor bad i feel like this falls under the crazy category sure i'm okay with that too marjorie taylor green infamous crazy person who does not know how to do a (laughs) pull-up I, I've heard that that's correct for the CrossFit people. CrossFit people don't know how to do pull-ups. <laughs> Compares wearing masks and mask mandates to the Holocaust. It's just like having your entire family genocided. 
I mean, it's basically the same thing, right? In an appearance last week on the podcast, The Water Cooler with David Brody, Green said regarding Nancy Pelosi's decision to maintain a mask mandate on the House floor, this woman is mentally ill. You know, we can look back in a time in history where people were told to wear a gold star and they were definitely treated like second-class citizens. So much so that they were put in trains and taken to gas chambers in Nazi Germany. And this is exactly the type of abuse that Nancy Pelosi is talking about. Exactly the type of abuse. What? (laughs) She literally wants to kill everybody. She wants to put Republicans on trains. By keeping them safe from catching COVID. She's literally killing them. So this caused a bit of a backlash, bit of a... Just a bit firestorm in the political circles of people denouncing what she said and calling for her well her apology her resignation uh maybe for her to be committed which i think would be the best (laughs) but instead she doubled down and said that she did nothing wrong and that her statements were correct and that the proof of vaccination that some places have been asking for or certainly that you're given when you get your vaccination is the same as wearing a gold star. A tweet from Queen QAnon stated, (laughs) vaccinated employees get a vaccination logo just like the Nazis forced Jewish people to wear a gold star. Vaccine passports and mask mandates create discrimination against unvaxxed people who trust their immune systems to a virus that is 99% survivable. Those numbers are not accurate, by the way. And yes, uh, uh, she trusts her immune system, showing that she is an idiot. Yep. And that the people in Georgia who voted for her should rethink their life choices. Well, and Kevin McCarthy, minority house leader, finally got a spine to stand up to Green and to say that Marjorie is wrong and that her intentional decision to compare the horrors of the Holocaust with wearing masks is appalling. Let me be clear. The House Republican Conference condemns this language. So they're going to censure her, right? Uh, No. Oh, no. No, they're not going to do that. You know, and I was also thinking where, what could they actually do? What could they actually do against Marjorie Taylor Greene? They can kick her off all the committees she was on. Oh, wait. Yeah, that, that, that already happened. But it wasn't because of Republicans. Nope. Democrats had to do that. They could make meaningless gestures by saying that what she said was appalling and condemn the language that she used. That's not even a slap on the wrist. Do something. Oh, my God. She's their number one fundraiser. What are they really going to do? And so that's the worst part about this is that when she's mean and nasty and crazy and crazy that's when she makes the most money that's when more people give to her how do you fight another party or political opponents who actively encourage the crazy things to happen you can't call out because that just makes them angrier and crazier which causes them to make more money it's the reality of the modern gop base they are completely disconnected from reality currently and i don't know where that happened i also did see somewhere that (laughs) she also retweeted after kevin mccarthy's comments like another tweet calling mccarthy a moron and a feckless c-word and then realized that was a bad idea then deleted it right away (laughs) she's crazy well look at her i mean just listen to her talk about anything for 10 seconds look and i also understand that sure margie tara green is not every republican right i also understand that i also understand that there are several republicans that actively do not like her at all Okay, fine. Well, let's just for fun compare the supposed crazies, right? Where you have Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is probably the, we'll say, Democrats' boogeyman for Republicans in the GOP. And like she's their extreme crazy. Then look at who the crazy person is for the boogeyman on the right. It's AOC. It's Bernie Sanders. They're not even remotely similar. Nope. This person wants to give you health care as a basic human right and cares about equality and helping the most marginalized people in society. I also just reiterate, Marjorie Taylor Greene is another Republican who believes in free market ideas. She is the reason why COVID is as bad as it is right now, or she's at least one of the reasons, because if she actually gave a sh- about any other American other than herself. She'd be on the train fully with vaccinations and masks and everything as far as COVID precautions go. But she's actively standing in the way, which is the best argument you have against libertarianism and free market capitalism. I don't trust any of these people (laughs) to do the right thing. She is literally just doing what she needs to do to make money. Yep. Which is the biggest argument against capitalism that you can find. Like, honestly putting people in mortal danger to make a dollar 
Yep. So if anyone ever asks you, what's the problem with libertarianism or what's the problem with free markets or the arena or was it the arena of ideas? Marketplace. Marketplace of ideas. Thank you. Just show them our current living examples of people who completely refute all of those arguments who hold way too much power in this country. Well, now you brought up bad arguments. So I feel like we need to move on to our main story and talk about critical race theory. All right. It don't sound too enthusiastic. I'm trying to figure out the transition. <laughs> like, are you saying the critical race theory is a bad argument or the bad arguments against critical race yeah, theory? Yeah, I think we're going to be talking a lot about some bad arguments when discussing critical race theory. All right. Theory. I'm okay with that. <laughs> that was really a pr- productive segment, wasn't it? It's hard to get any word in with this clown. Let's talk about the current social boogeyman that's going to destroy our children's education, cause the downfall of society, and lead us into a race war. The gay agenda. Sorry, that was last decade. That was, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Critical race theory. We recently had 20 state attorneys general write a letter to the Secretary of Education stating that they oppose the teaching of critical race theory, and that would be all of the hee-haw states (laughs) alabama alaska arizona arkansas georgia idaho indiana kansas kentucky louisiana mississippi who i don't think they like any education missouri montana nebraska ohio oklahoma south carolina texas utah and west virginia We have two states that have already passed laws targeting the teaching of critical race theory, Idaho and Oklahoma, which Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt was kicked off of a commission marking the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre after he signed that bill into law. Iowa and Tennessee have passed bills in their legislatures that are currently waiting to be signed by their governors. Texas has a bill that is currently passed by their Senate. It has to go to their House. It's been going back and forth now for a while to get some of the language straightened out. And also lawmakers in Oregon, Arkansas, Utah, Missouri, and Arizona are currently writing their own versions of anti-critical race theory legislation. So I want to know, why are attorneys general writing writing to the Secretary of Education about what should be taught in schools? Because they are all teachers, or at least experts in the field of education. Oh, I'm sure the Mississippi AG is definitely a an educator. Well, let's also keep in mind too that a lot of these bills that either have passed or are waiting to pass have intentionally vague language. And that's the point. The point is to make certain words like compel and force as vague as possible where they can just make anything that they don't like against the law. It can go as far as any discussion of racism right. or history that has I mean any I mean how do you talk about history of the United States without talking about race? Well, I guess we're about to find out in 20 states. There was also the 1776 Project PAC that was launched on Monday to raise funds to support school board candidates who oppose public schools teaching critical race theory and the 1619 Project. Well, and you may have known from our episode about the 1776 Project versus the 1619 Project that that's insane! Don't teach the history of black people in the United States. That's what that's saying. Because that's what the 1619 Project is right the history well, of black people in the united states well it's don't saying teach that we should actively seek people who aren't going to push for this it's so crazy and i guarantee you they'll be successful we saw it coming from the atheist community with all of the creationism and also spoiler alert the discovery institute is involved in this as well ew i don't like that i don't like that at all so why don't you tell us what critical race theories if this is so bad if we if these 20 states are taking steps to protect their children from this horrible theory what is it sure so i actually want to start with what it's not critical race theory or crt is not a school curriculum it is not a diversity program and if you listen to conservatives you may also think that it's a marxist propaganda that teaches us to hate white people it's not that either so when talking about critical race theory we need to understand that it has been misunderstood distorted and straight up bastardized by both proponents and critics and that's kind of a big thing too. In actuality, it's an academic and legal philosophy that was popularized back 
back in the 70s. Some of its pioneers were Derek Bell, generally known as the father of CRT, Kimberly Crenshaw, Richard Delgado, Gene Stefanik, and several others. It grew from what was called critical legal studies, which posited that laws weren't necessarily objective or apolitical. In 1995, Gloria Lanson Billings from the University of Wisconsin and William F. Tate began applying the critical race theory framework in the field of education, moving beyond legal scholarship. And this is generally just as a caveat as we get into the subject. This is generally a postgraduate field of study. Yeah, we should really make this caveat. So not something that either one of us not being law school students are really equipped to talk about. When doing a lot of research, I, I saw a lot of interviews and discussions with Derek Bell. So much of it is over my head that it's hard even as a lay person to try to absorb what the subject matter is so that I can communicate. So I think that's part of this. Well, and I was just going to say that too, is that when we're talking about it being distorted or misunderstood by both proponents and critics, this is what happens when you have very complex academic fields of study. We've seen this with different types of scientific studies like biology and whatnot. You also saw different things like in psychology where people don't know how their own brains work most of the time. So please keep in mind that one, we are not the best sources on this. I'm going to link many different sources that we found I think are incredibly helpful, including sources that are from proponents of critical race theory. But look into this yourselves as well. We're just going to give you like the very most like surface level take about what it is. So what are the main arguments behind critical race theory? Well, first and foremost, critical race theory recognizes that race is not biologically real, but a social construct and is socially significant. It recognizes that science, as demonstrated in the Human Genome Project, refutes the idea of biological racial differences. According to um, scholars Richard Dalgao and Gene Stefanik, race is the product of social thought and is not connected to any biological reality. Rather, races are categories that society invents, manipulates, or retires when convenient. So a lot of times you see the criticism of it teaches that one race is superior to another. I see that wording, which had to come out of the Manhattan Institute, which is one of the biggest proponents of this uh, being anti-critical race theory. I was going to say, wait a minute. (laughs) So that language, it said, and that's in all of the laws that I looked at. Yeah, and we'll talk about this as well. But that, by definition, is wrong if there's no such thing like biologically that separates us, which is obvious, right? We're all Africans originally. Yep. We all descend from the same people, just our phenotypes are slightly evolved differently over the years. It can't, we can't be actually superior to anyone else. That the idea of that, which is one of the biggest complaints about critical race theory, is that it teaches racial superiority. Correct. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure we're demonstrating right here that that's not true. Yeah, I'm sure some of you are thinking right now, hold on, we do have different categories for different races. That's correct. We also understand the how arbitrary those categorizations are. Think of things like heritage versus race, or how the idea of American whiteness has generally evolved through immigration from like Italians, the Irish, or Eastern Europeans. They were not considered to be white. Correct. Or at least, and that's the thing, it's different in each area too. In America, if you were Irish, you weren't considered white. Italians are another example. Some Sometimes they think of themselves as white, sometimes they don't. I saw an interview with Christopher Rufo, who is the number one opponent of critical race theory and probably the person that has crafted all of this legislation. He comes from, as I said, the Manhattan Institute and aforementioned Discovery Institute. And when pushed of what does he like about being white, because his complaint was, oh, it teaches that whiteness is bad. Mm-hmm. So they're saying, okay. What's good about being white? What do you enjoy? What What is good about being white? And his response was, well, I'm Italian, so I'm not really so white. So it goes immediately to heritage. Right. To her- well, and it's like, that's... Well, and it's the exact same thing when people talk about, well, black people say they're proud to be black. Yeah, but when you l- listen to what black people also say, they also go right back to their heritage. The only reason why they refer to themselves as black is that they were literally subjugated because of their um, skin color because of their race literally and a good example of how gray racial categorization is is just think about hispanics how you have white hispanics and non-white hispanics and if you call a white hispanic just a typical white person or caucasian they will get upset with you because you are misidentifying them you can think of jewish people too yes 
And there's also the difference of cultural versus religious versus racial. Again, these things are social constructs, and critical race theory identifies that. Correct. That that's not a biological hard distinction. If you look at someone's DNA, you cannot determine race. And people have tried, and that's how we got real big racism. And unfortunately, according to Marjorie Taylor Greene, that's how we got mask mandates. <laughs> so that's step one. The second part is that race Racism doesn't just happen at the individual level. It is woven into our systems and institutions that create public policy. Remember, this started out as legal studies. So, of course, it's going to be based around legal precedent and how we actually make laws. This was meant to challenge laws and procedures that did not explicitly create racist outcomes, but nevertheless did. Think of various judicial policies, healthcare policies. Heck, we actually talked about some of these in our previous episode about redlining, where different housing policies may not explicitly said to discriminate against black people or people of color, but they did anyway. Or think of the fact that cocaine convictions don't carry as harsh of a sentence as crack convictions, even though it's the same drug. Or that, statistically speaking, black defendants will get longer sentences than white defendants for the same crimes. That's what we're talking about. There's no law that says black people should be punished more harshly than white people. And that's when you get people like Ben Shapiro, and we'll point me to the law that says it's not a law but it is the outcome correct that's what we see well and that's another i don't want to call them tenets but we'll say a principle of critical race theory as well is that it talks about outcomes and not intentions i don't care if you're racist i don't care if you don't think you're racist what you did was probably racist and that's usually what ends up happening so when people talk about critical race theory or even just more broadly systemic racism you need to understand that this is about outcomes and that you can have good-hearted people doing racist things and it doesn't matter what you actually believe or what you actually think you're doing because that doesn't matter the only thing that matters is what actually happens and there's the idea and i don't understand why this is one of the biggest criticisms the united states is fundamentally a racist country you piece of trash commie people are like oh that it teaches that that's horrible no it that's the truth Mm -hmm. we were built as a slave nation african people were thought of as property they weren't people it's built into the constitution the three-fifths compromise was not about the rights of black people of slaves it was about the rights of their owners because property doesn't have rights that's the foundation that we started from that was baked in literally into the constitution and that's also the basis of a lot of things including the police department they were originally slave catchers if you look into the history of how like individual county police departments began. Those things are undeniable. That's just history. I was say that's just literally looking back at our history. That's all it is. So to deny that makes you stupid. <laughs> yeah, it means you're denying history and you're not learning, you're not understanding. And it's not like we okay, once emancipation, it will ignore the fact that, you know, there we're still a long ways to go after that. But it's not like once that happened, we threw out every law and just rewrote the constitution like oh well we screwed this up the first time let's let's try again and let's make sure we include every no we still had all of the same legislation we still had all of the same foundations well and all the same people running those institutions so that's what critical race theory accepts that the united states foundationally at its core is a racist country it doesn't mean that it has to stay that way but it means that we have to accept that and try to figure out a way that we can make it equitable and i think that is the number one thing that people will not accept that are against any kind of teaching and you'd see it like oh the 1619 project against the teaching of real history and especially think of it from the perspective of the descendants of slaves well because this is also dealing with emotional nationalism as well where people are so afraid to question their own country they think that literally just criticizing the history of that country makes you hate your country that's what they say it's un-american it's marxist communist well let's go on to the next principle as well and this is also where you can kind of see some people 
people thinking that I may be Marxist. They're wrong, but here's where they get it from as well. This is from an introduction to critical race theory by Delgado and Stefanczyk. They write, quote, unlike traditional civil rights, which embraces incrementalism and step-by-step progress, critical race theory questions the very foundations of the liberal order, including equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment rationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law. So this questioning of the actual foundations of the entire country, again, I... I don't even know how to actually logic my way through it, but you can also revolutionary thinking, right? That's kind of what I was going to say. It's that it's almost like a revolutionary type of way of tearing down the system and rebuilding it in a better way. And if you want an example of critical race theory in use, I've got one from Derek Bell that Brown versus board of education and the successes that were made in the civil rights movement, like the civil rights act were a result of Soviet criticism of us treatment of black citizens, during the Cold War. Well, yeah, and he also talked about how specifically Brown v. Board of Education was to enhance the status of white elites as opposed to help black Americans. Right. It helped the U.S. in the Cold War. They were able to push back. I guess that, and this is, again, our education system is pretty bad. Apparently, this is a huge thing in Russia and Eastern Europe that was going on around that time. Any criticism that the U.S. would make about their system and communism and how it's unfair they would say yes and you lynch they said negroes in the translation but you lynch black people in your country that was like that phrase and you lynch negroes is a huge propaganda phrase that was used in eastern europe against the united states literally any criticism they would say and the response would be yes and you lynch black people so the idea of getting rid of segregation and improving Improving the life of black citizens was not so much to improve the life of black citizens as a middle finger to the Soviet Union and to win a propaganda war and to push capitalism to communist countries that that was the overwhelming motivation behind it. Does that not sound like the most American thing ever, though? (laughs) We're going to spite give people rights. And that is also a principle of critical race theory is to say that any kind of civil rights advancement that is successful, if you look at it, you will probably find that it benefits the majority society. Yeah, there are underlying factors that probably make it a little bit messier than we expect it to be. The other example I heard uh, Dr. Bell talk about was that affirmative action, statistically speaking, benefited white women more than black men. Correct. And like we said before, we're not going to go so deep into this is graduate level research here, but those are the general ideas of what critical race theory is, or at least for what most, I don't want to say lay people because that's not even correct because they don't even know what this much is already, but we'll say from the non-academic standpoint of a lay person. From what we got from a week or a week of research. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we came up with. Yeah, pretty much. So what are some of the criticisms of critical race theory? Now, you can have criticisms from Republicans and conservatives and, I mean, even Democrats as well. They're all over the place. So instead of going through a bunch, we're just going to focus on a couple of key criticisms to help bring home the point of how misunderstood critical race theory actually is. One of the biggest critics of critical race theory is the Heritage Foundation, which is a conservative think tank. And they indicate that critical race theory is to blame for nearly everything that's bad. (laughs) In their mind. Right. Everything from identity politics to free speech issues on college campuses to the rise of Black Lives Matter to who gets a role in Hollywood for a movie, and even the Parkland shooting. I kid you not. So they made an entire report called Critical Race Theory, The New Intolerance and Its Grip on America. And I want to quickly go through it with you, Jason. I don't know if you actually read this report. I hope you didn't because it's a waste of time. I did not. Good. I'm glad. So let's quickly go through it and let's see how well they understand what critical race theory is. So some of the key takeaways that they put in their report were, number one, CRT underpins identity politics, which reimagines the U.S. as a nation driven by groups, each with specific claims on victimization. That's number one key takeaway. Number two, critical race theory makes race the prism through which its proponents analyze all aspects of American life. Number three, CRT's intolerance can be found in schools, the workplace, and the entertainment sector, quote unquote, normalizing belief in systemic racism for the average American. How'd they do so far? 
I think we already debunked all of these, but sure. It's just what you hear from. It's written into those laws. It's divisive. It makes everything about race, even though, as we talked about, it one of its core tenets is that race is a social construct. Well, let's okay. Let's quickly go through these. So I had the biggest issue with the first one, which is that it underpins identity politics, which reimagines the U.S. as a nation driven by groups, each with specific claims of victimization. Number one, when anybody talks to you about the how horrible identity politics that are, they do not understand how politics in general usually work. Because here's the deal. Identity politics is nothing new. From the day we began politics, I'm talking like even BC times, we always go around based on social groups. And we actually have an abundance of research that shows the majority of political opinion is actually based around the idea of social groups and social representation. That's what identity politics are. Even when conservatives want to talk about how the left's all about identity politics, you see it all the time on their end. What about white Americans? What about the men? What about Christians? So when anyone ever talks- When's white history month? Right, exactly. So when anyone ever talks to you about how bad identity politics are, they're either lying or they're completely ignorant on the subject. The second issue I have with it is that when they talk about how there are specific claims on victimization, I hear this all the time, Jason, from people who talk about it's the oppression Olympics. It's always about, well, how can I just be another victim again? As you could tell from the tenets of critical race theory, it talks nothing about trying to be a victim. It just talks about what our history is and what actually has happened in our nation's history. And what's continuing to happen. Correct. And how we can fix it. So, and actually on that, let's talk about what the Heritage Foundation actually thinks the main tenets of CRT are. And you just give me a quick yes or no, Jason. We're going to go right through these, all right? Number one, the Marxist analysis of a society made up of categories of oppressors and oppressed. True or false? False. Number two, an unhealthy daub of Nietzschean relativism, which means that language does not accord to an objective reality, but is the mere instrument of power dynamics. I think that sentence does not accord to an objective reality. (laughs) And this is, I mean, all of this is really just critiques of critical theory so far. Uh, So no. Good. Number three, the idea that the oppressed impede revolution when they adhere to the cultural beliefs of their oppressors and must be put through re-education sessions. Uh, Had me until the end of that sentence. Uh, No. All right. Number four, the concomitant need to dismantle all societal norms through relentless criticism. What was that word? Concomitant. Need to dismantle all societal norms. The phenomenon that naturally accompanies or follows something. That's what concomitant means. (laughs) And might not be pronounced that way uh i know i did not hear anything about the need to dismantle all societal norms all right number five and the final one the replacement of all systems of power and even the description of those systems with a worldview that describes only oppressors and the oppressed no false incorrect that's all of them that's what the heritage foundation thinks crt is and it goes even further and maybe it- they got confused with cathode ray tube <laughs> and they're reading like schematics of tvs <laughs> <laughs> monitors i don't know but the report goes even further when talking about how it's implemented in k-12 through schools and this one actually made me very angry so i just want to read this to you jason and see what you think about it the dissemination of curricular content and instruction based on crt in k-12 through schools is second only in scope to the presence of crt in post-secondary instruction where crt originated the spread within the college and university level syllabi and journal articles took place over the course of many decades throughout the 20th century while the effects of k-12 schools in such areas as social studies, history, and civics have by comparison become more visible recently. Are they literally just talking about anything that teaches the history of race relations and racism in the U.S. as being critical race theory? Basically. But it gets worse. They continue, the material distracts educators and students away from rigorous learning content while also teaching ideas that undermine the value of individual liberty in America's founding ideals and further embedding the concept of systemic racism in the public consciousness. These distractions come at a time when state and school officials do not require enough civics-related instruction in school, and there are wide learning gaps in core subjects like reading and math between children from different ethnicities, all subjects that need more, not less attention. I feel like they went so far around the circle that they went back into like advocating for CRT principles. Well, that's the crazy thing. They acknowledge that there are educational gaps between racial um, groups in our country and say,
say, hey. That sounds like critical race theory Right. It's like, let's ignore the thing about how, why there's educational gaps right now. Well, let's just teach math and reading instead. And I don't remember anywhere in any of the discussions and things that I read in preparation for this that said that critical race theory needs to be taught in place of reading and math. And must. Well, and are you really telling me so university level syllabi and journal articles that took place over many decades throughout the 20th century were considered distractions? Journal articles and research are distractions from more important things. Like civics. They're going away from our founding ideals. Well, yes, in the fact that the founding ideals were that. Based on propaganda. And that were non-white male landowners were the only ones that mattered. Like that's, that's the thing. That's what needs to be taught those were the founding ideals only white male landowners mattered everybody else did not have a say in anything they were just part of the machine so to say we need to focus on those founding ideals yeah that's the problem because (laughs) it really was a racist foundation it wasn't just it was racist sexist and classist and i guess we can't acknowledge that well, and they're arguing against historical research. This is actual academic research that's being done. That's pushing the way forward in sociology, psychology, in group studies, racial studies. And those are just distractions. That that pissed me off. <laughs> Let's go through some other criticism now that I'm angry. Other critics of critical race theory talk about how it doesn't encourage meritocracy and that it creates more division than unity. What are your thoughts on those? Does not encourage meritocracy. Generally, what they mean by that is they're saying, well, everything is equal now. Therefore, everything should be judged based on the merits. And we've talked about this before and the idea that we've been running a race for 200 years and one group of people have been running that race the entire time and are so much further along but now we let other groups of people run the race but they have to start at the beginning and the race we would say hey it's fair you have just as much chance no one's hindering you from running you don't have we took those weights that we had tied to your ankles off what are you complaining about well they they don't have the same opportunity that the people that started 200 years ago have well I think that goes right into the second point too which is that people are upset because it creates supposedly more division than unity if by division you mean between people that care about having a fair and equitable society versus those that don't that just want to protect what they've gotten out of not having a fair and equitable society then yeah i guess it does divide between those two groups Unfortunately, that's not the racist division that they try to portray it as. Oh, it's whites against blacks. No, it's not. It's about the people that care about everyone and making sure that everyone has a chance in our country and is treated with respect and dignity and those who have already gotten what they want and are just trying to protect it. Well, we also saw in that Heritage Foundation report that they're upset because CRT supposedly attacks individual liberty and individualism again that's not how life works that's not how our society works we are built upon unfair grounds and we are built upon social group interests and group dynamics and the ironic thing about this for me is it seems to be based critical race theory specifically rejects the idea of a colorblind society or post-racial society which is something that comes out of liberalism right I don't see race, that sort of thing. Well, well early, early liberalism, let's make that clear too. And it's like, well, well, you still see it these days. People that sure. would, okay. consider, yeah. you know, oh, Obama was president, you know, we're a post-racial society. And CRT says, well, no, you, you should see race because the system is denying equality for a lot of people. And that when you look at things through a racial framework, like, say, looking for what's the incarceration rate per 100,000 people of different groups, and you see that African-American males is insanely higher than everyone else, despite us being equal, supposedly. Well, why is that? Well, if you don't look for that, if you don't try to break things down along racial lines, you won't see those huge disparities. You know, like we talked about the conviction sentencing and even the conviction rate among black men is so much higher than white men and also even higher than white women. Why is it? If you don't look for those things, you'll never find them. You'll never correct them. So that's why it specifically rejects 
rejects the idea of colorblindness or post-racialism because it ignores those problems. It says, no, we're all fine. We're all good. We, You had the Civil Rights Act. Everything is fine. Well, and that's where a lot of conservatives have trouble with this as well. I don't want to just say conservatives. We'll say critics. Where a lot of critics have trouble with this as well because a lot of people want to be comfortable in their understanding of race. They don't want to be seen as a part of the problem. They don't want to be uncomfortable. And they want this problem to be over or they want it to be a problem that can be solved. Why can't racism just be solved? Well, it's not a, It's not necessarily a solvable problem in the way that you think it is. I mean, for goodness sakes, we may always have racial issues in this country. It may not even be in the way that we see it now, but there may always be some kind of issue that has to be addressed. And that scares people because they don't know what to do about that because they can't solve the problem. And the last criticism I have, Jason, is that critical race theory may be more performative and more based on stories than actually doing anything to solve the problems at hand. And that comes from one of the main tenets of critical race theory being about telling stories, about actually understanding people's experiences, and that being storytelling being a big part of that. But is that a bad thing? Should we not listen to people's experiences? That's again, you get to the Ben Shapiro, well, point to the law. That's the issue. When things are systemic, it does become important to listen to the lived experience of people, right? The idea that people are treated differently when they're pulled over by the police. And I've never had to get out of a car and lay face down on the road or anything like that. That's my lived experience. When you get pulled over, it's an inconvenience. Maybe you get a ticket, maybe you don't, but you're not in any real danger. But that's not the experience of a lot of minorities in this country. There's no law that says that I have to be treated well, but a person of color has to be harassed and abused. So I can't point to a specific rule or law, but the story, the experience of people matters because they're different. I have a different lived experience than other people do, and it's because of my race. That's the only way that you're going to get that is with storytelling, and that's why it is a part of critical race theory. And again, conservatives reject that because they just want you to point to a law or some reason behind it when the reason is racism. They don't accept that. Well, and I think a lot of this type of criticism also comes from just a general misinterpretation of what critical race theory is. I mean, we also hear that you know critical race theory is the general boogeyman of conservatives in general, but we also see from the Heritage Foundation this idea that everyone has to be an oppressor or an oppressee, and that's just how it is, no matter what, which is just completely not true. I mean, we also have to understand that critical race theory or this academic scholarship and research are not the people who are trying to implement it poorly today as well. And I think that's another big issue where like critical race theory is not Twitter. Critical race theory is not wokeness or whatever. Cancel culture. Right. It's not right. And I think that's where a lot of these criticisms come from. So for example, with the performative thing, you may have people who are saying, well, I'm super woke. Or they may not even say that, but they'll say like, I'm about equality and understanding systemic racism. And they'll yell at somebody supposedly for not getting it right. Or they'll try to cancel someone while there are actual racial and systemic issues that are happening in this country. Sure, but that's not what critical race theory is. We need to understand that. So we need to have a very defined line between what CRT is and what people who abuse it and bastardize it are. And I mean, we can even talk about like corporate diversity programs that are super cringy. I'm sure we've probably seen some conservative news outlets say, oh, so-and-so company says all white people are evil. I mean, that's not critical race theory. As we just saw, that's not what critical race theory is. So be aware that the misinterpretation of critical race theory are just that misinterpretations i saw one that was completely disingenuous uh, that was talking about oh a new study came out that shows that according to critical race theory babies are racist or specifically white babies are racist what? at three months old when it was talking about a study that 
was done to see when babies are able to distinguish between different races and when they actually will favor people who look like their caregivers. It's not necessarily their race. If you're a white baby that has black caregivers or vice versa or whatever, you will favor that face. Yes. And they just want to figure out when that exactly Right. And they showed that it was at three months. Oh, white babies are racist at three months. So it's psychology research. That's all it was. I'm not sure the exact field, but yeah, that's, that's what the actual research was was and it's interesting and important and oh that's something that's that you know it is kind of neat to understand oh look critical race they they ascribe everything to critical race theory that they feel like they can get away with and that people will jump all over it there were you know is, is that same christopher rufo guy right and of course a million retweets likes people talk oh this is terrible it's teaching our kids to hate themselves and hate america so why is it so important to understand what critical race theory actually is well i think to finish it out i wanted to show you some public polling data that i found on this and literally just for this episode i did a quick google search of critical race theory polling data the first thing i found were a ton of links from conservative news outlets anti-critical race theory groups and the federalist which is what i found this from which was a poll that was done back in april that conservatives were touting where three quarters of americans oppose white privilege training and critical race theory in schools and that kind of shocked me so i looked into a bit more. I'm going to read a couple of these questions to you, Jason, Mm -hmm. and I want you to see what some of the issues are. So for these questions, they asked the participants if they should teach this or not, or strongly teach it, somewhat teach it, somewhat not teach it, or strongly not teach it. Assign white students the status of, quote, privileged and assign non-white students the status of, quote, oppressed. Should schools in your area do that or not? I think they should round up all the white students and kill them. That's the question. And shockingly, 78% of respondents said, hell no. Well, of course not, because that's not what critical race theory is. Another one, teach students with lighter skin color who are boys or who are taller or slimmer that they are natural oppressors and teach students with darker skin color or who are girls or who are shorter or heavier that they are naturally oppressed. Should schools teach that in your area? feel like that shakes itself out in a school environment. I... This is insane. And these are the questions that pollsters are asking. Now, granted, this is a conservative pollster, but even in that question, 81% said, you know, again, hell no, they strongly oppose all that. So when people are talking about how much they hate critical race theory and how much they're opposed to critical race theory, even what they're being given for information by pollsters and by supposed elites for actual information are dead wrong. It's just a scare tactic to try to drum up opposition against what they consider to be the boogeyman. And this also goes against a an Atlantic slash Ledger poll where 52% of respondents who said they were Republicans said that laws should be passed banning schools from teaching critical race theory. As we talked about in the beginning. Right. And it's all based on these misinterpretations and misperceptions. And especially when you have in that same study, 78% have neither even heard of critical race theory or unsure what it was. They're going to be taking advantage of if they're not set straight from the get-go and um, you can find they're all over the place of these school board hearings with white parents crying and screaming at school board meetings saying that they don't want their kids being told that they're racist in school it happened at the town south of me literally five minutes away from me some people brought up whether or not their school district was teaching critical race theory verbatim because that's what they're told to do by fox news and oan and all of the conservative pundits because they're being fed this that this is coming it's coming to your city you need to go to school board meetings and you need to work against this and you've just saw this week political action committee being formed specifically to get people in school boards to oppose it and if you look at it a lot of it is because they're just trying to protect the idea of american exceptionalism which is a big conservative foundational principle and also because what if the idea that things are not fair and that a huge group of americans has not been equal all this time things have not been fair what do you do so they're just trying to protect their privilege and their wealth because one of the natural conclusions to critical race theory is reparations well and just general wealth distribution as well and that's something that conservatives will protect to the death 
And that's why you're seeing such a push against this. And also because culture wars and they can, it's working. Yeah. They're getting a lot of support. They can use this to push to elect all of their candidates. It worked for Donald Trump. This like populist, racist. We need, they saw Trump push it with the 1776 project. Mm -hmm. He, he knew what he was doing. And this is the GOP jumping on that bandwagon. Well, and I was making a joke earlier when we started this segment, but this isn't anything new. This is the same thing that's been done about wokeness, PC culture, the gay agenda, anything that sounds new and scary. Conservatives will attack it fast and quickly without having any understanding about what it actually is. And that's why it's so important to understand in the face of all this propaganda and misinformation to know how mundane and benign critical race theory actually is in retrospect. It's not crazy. It's not revolutionary. Well, it is a little bit revolutionary, I'll say, but it's not causing anyone to act in a certain way. All it is is just acknowledging that we should look at our history, that our systems have been plagued by racial resentment throughout generations. That doesn't make any one of us who are alive today bad or horrible, per se. Some are, but it's not just because of that. It's because when these problems are so big and complex, they're super difficult to solve and they're not going to go away if we just ignore them. And sometimes it takes a lot, like completely flipping the system over on its head to see the issues that lie. If anybody listening out there, and I'll I'll say specifically, I will speak to my own people, the white people in the audience. If you're uncomfortable with the idea, I'll give you some homework. This is the one thing that you need to understand. Talk to a black person. <laughs> well, I, I hope you're doing that anyway. <laughs> but Dude, it's Wisconsin. You never know. <laughs> but understanding critical race theory does not make you a racist. It means that you have benefited from a system of white supremacy and that you have privilege. And that's it, right? That's it. It's that's the only, only thing you need to understand, that you, by being white, have benefited from the oppression of minorities throughout the history of this country. That doesn't mean you're actively oppressing anyone, and that doesn't mean that you don't have struggles. Yeah. It doesn't mean that your life's not hard. It doesn't mean that you haven't worked for things that you've gotten. It just means all things being equal, you will generally have better outcomes than other groups in America because our system is built to benefit you. Well, and like you said earlier on, it's all about just we have different experiences in this country, and that's just it. Different factors influence our experience, and that's all. And whether we want to admit it or not, race influences our experience. Anything else you want to close on? or Now let's go kill Whitey. All right. Thank you for listening. We hope to see you in the next episode. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at ThinkProPod. You can email us at ThinkProPod at gmail.com. And remember, when in doubt, think progressively. Cool. Yeah. Goo. <laughs> it was a <laughs> it was a mix between cool and good. Goo. Someone here? No. <laughs> They'd see anything outside. They do. <laughs>